0: Now we continue our study of Ephesians and there's last week and kind of that introduction verses 1 through 14, entering the greatest story ever. And Paul introduces himself, that's the apostolic link to the Ephesians and then the most important thing as you look at that chapter is to identify who is the us, it's those who were the first to hope in Christ, that eyewitness generation who believed in him, that God chose, he predestined to enter history at that point. And they are partakers of all these promises. And then Paul says to the Ephesians, and you. And so we have to join that you. Is when you heard and you believed, you were sealed. You were brought into all of these kinds of promises. And that's from there, Paul launches into one of his prayers. And there are several of these incredibly beautiful prayers throughout the letter to the Ephesians. And this is the first of them. And he really shows the desires of his heart. And, um, and I think through that challenges us to desire that same dream, um, dreamers and difference makers. And the sad thing is, in our practical experience, they're almost never the same people. A lot of people are really good at saying, that's an awesome dream, that's an awesome vision but never really knuckle down and implement it and follow through. We lose our way. And some of that's different gifting, but some of that is just a summary of the human problem. Okay? And we need to realize that the biggest dreamers need to be the biggest difference makers. And I'm not talking about being primarily results-oriented, because as soon as you bring someone else to the equation, you can't guarantee the result. Um, And the apostles couldn't guarantee the results, but they were short of Jesus himself, the biggest difference makers in the history of God's kingdom. And they had the loftiest vision or dream. And we need to be better at pulling those things together um, and not get discouraged and lose heart or, or lose the dream. And that gets into our motivations and what is really motivating us. I would submit to you today, and I don't want to be harsh, because I think God is the God of eternal encouragement, which kind of makes the devil the stinker of eternal discouragement. Um, But if we get so discouraged that we break, did we really just break? Is that kind of the picture you get from the apostles? That, yeah, God called you to this, you might break, in a bad way. Because a lot of people are getting so discouraged and they're just checking out. And they don't have that courage and that tenacity and that follow through. That it's kind of the homework of the apostles. Because without that, no matter how lofty your dream, it will fail. Because as soon as your self-control breaks, as soon as your courage breaks, encourage, discourage. The opposite of courage is not fear. Everybody has fear. It's dis. Courage, man. And so if we don't have kind of that fortitude and that kind of emotional tenacity, we'll wilt. Sooner or later. I don't think the devil was all that concerned when we speak our grandiose dreams. He has a long history of <laughs> observing that very few of those come to fruition. I think when you have someone like Paul who he just can't knock off stride for any length of time. That Paul is just so tenacious, so courageous, just stays on mission. Then you hear demons saying, Well, we know Jesus and we've heard of that guy, but who are you, right? And that happened in Ephesus in Acts 19. So we want to be, yeah, we want to have the lofty dream, but we want to be difference makers. And then again, that comes back to our heart and our motivations. So we're going to be asking some questions today. What motivates you? What is a red flag in your spiritual journey? What needs to change to make you more fruitful? And we're going to look at all that by studying Paul's apostolic dream. That he prays over the Ephesians. That he speaks into their life um, and challenges that. So for, for us to, and challenges them in that way. Um, So, we want to review what God has done, and those are the resources that he gives you, that if you heard and you believe, so you're sitting here today, you've heard. Have you believed? And you've believed, then we need to remember what God has done, because he's sealed you. He's given you an inheritance. In the coming ages, he will show it, but he's already given it. And he's so committed to that because God doesn't just have a great dream. He's tenacious. That he puts his own spirit on the line. So that if he doesn't bring you home, if you've heard and you've truly believed, he loses his own spirit. You find out how committed someone is when you raise the stakes. Well, if I do this, I might take a pay cut. God's like, well, I know that feels really scary for you. How about if I do this and I don't follow through, I lose myself? Because that's actually the game we're in. You could gain everything else but lose your soul, lose your true self. And God understands the stakes and he entered into that, he invaded our history and he puts his own spirit on the line. That's how committed he is. And that's supposed to motivate us. So... When you review what god has done you must desire the apostolic dream and that gets to our first question and just take a couple minutes what motivates you now you could give the simple correct bible verse answer (laughs) we can do that um but we're bible church i think most of us have a pretty good sense of what that is so when i say what motivates you think about encouragement motivation what you know gets you moving besides that cup of coffee That motivates you. (laughs) Taking that one off the table. (laughs) What motivates you? Rachel, then Marie. Truth. Trying to find out the truth. Marie. See an end result. So people are hard then. <laughs> but yes, we let, you know, if we can see a result, that helps us stay motivated. And that's where the discouragement battle kicks in when it's hard to see results that we think ought to be happening. And we might even be right on one level. Maybe they do, ought to be happening, but then they don't. And that's, uh, but when you can't see it, it motivates you. It helps you go, right? Randy? Being part of a team. Being part of a team. Yeah. Dee? So that promise really is something you keep coming back to and it motivates you. <laughs> I think I saw a couple of her hands shooting up. We need to keep, so Vesta and then Andy, and we'll keep move on. Uh, besides reward, um, that, that, I mean, sometimes between a rock and a hard place, I mean, there's no other way to do it. it pushes me to go in, motivate to Yeah, so once we actually get cornered, <laughs> we get motivated. Um, yeah, the deadline thing, all that, <laughs> think about it. How, how deadlines and feeling, feeling that pressure and that rock and hard place moment does motivate us. And you know God often puts his people in this stressful situation to try to really get at what's driving them. Andy? Doing what, I think God wants you. Doing what you think God wants you to do keeps you motivated. Okay. So for Paul, he's, when you see how he prays um, and you look at what motivates us, we want to seek something. Of course, we want to seek, all of us say this, the right motivation. And Paul hints at this, and doesn't really hint at it, he directly says it, when he looks at what God has done to that first generation that was, um, put their hope in Christ, the eyewitness generation, and then in the Ephesians, when they heard and believed, so he saw other people Marie responding, and it motivated him. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Um, And Paul has just said a few verses before that, That God is the one who... Here's what motivates God. The counsel of his will. And we talked about this on Wednesday night in the Wednesday devotional, so if you're there for that. I think it's very noteworthy that Paul doesn't say the will of his counsel. He talks about the counsel of God's will is what motivates him. Because counsel is that part of us that makes plans, sets goals, seeks to implement... It's more analytical. It's more cognitive. Will is what God delights in, (laughs) it's his heart. And both are incredibly important, especially for us. Even God does this the counsel of his will. Um, But we do it too. And it really comes down to the desires of your heart. And of course, we're messed up. So we need to make sure our counsel is biblical and sound, but ultimately here's some things that God, you know, one thing God says he doesn't desire or take any pleasure in or delight in. And it really is the root of this idea where we get the New Testament sense of will, the death of the wicked. He cannot take pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's so contrary to his heart. They, they, they perish. And even God's like, why will you die? (laughs) But it happens. But that kind of shows you how positive his heart is, how for people he is, for God so loved the world that he gave. And so when Paul is talking about all these things right in this context and how God operates and makes plans based on his desires, of course our desires are all over the place and the heart tricks us and we need to make sure that we're vetting things biblically. But that's right in context here. That's just verse 11. And now Paul's talking about these Ephesians responding to that and his prayers for them. And he says, For this reason, I am thankful and prayerful. So, as you seek that right motivation, we have to ask ourselves you seek the right motivation? Here's the next question What is a red flag? In your spiritual walk. Seeking the right motivation. What to you is a red flag to you. About you. Not about everybody else. <laughs> Plenty of those that we throw up there. Usually they're halfway done to justify our own problems. But anyway. Nancy. Pride. What's that? Pride. 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 Look, what I've done. Look what I've done. As soon as you start talking about everything you've done. Ben. When I don't want to hang out with other believers. When I don't that's huge. It's a real big problem for you too. no, <laughs> just kidding. He's gonna hang out with me tomorrow night. I'm not sure that counts as another believer, but, we're not want to hang out with other believers. Anyone else? I would submit to you that, the, you know, pride, not wanting to hang out with other believers. If we walk in the light, we connect with other believers. Um, that it really kind of is something we need to check. Basically what I'd call your attitude. Paul had plenty of reasons, and his life continued to pile up more and more reasons. He's writing this letter from Tahiti? No, Ken, where is he writing this letter from? Jail! Jail! We know, most of us know, at least kind of a big picture view of Paul's life. It was full of challenges, betrayal, persecution, imprisonments, pain. He had a lot of reasons to go negative, to not want to hang out with people, to not stay for people, to not stay encouraged. And he says, for this reason, and remember, he's living all this. He's writing this letter from a place of isolation and persecution, says, I am thankful, and I am prayerful. And when he says prayerful, you start to figure out what kinds of things, where his mind is going. See, attitude precedes truly spiritual effectiveness and intentionality just as grace precedes works. If we're trying to just put the works first and not really dealing with our attitude, this, I'm not saying don't do the work. God never says, don't do good works. But as far as like making a difference for eternity, grace has to come in there. And grace has to really be the foundation, and it shows up in my attitude. If I'm starting to get an ungracious, unthankful, kind of down on people attitude. I mean, if that drove Christ, he doesn't come and if he, even if he showed up by Gethsemane, he's out of here. <laughs> he is so thankful and so for people, and especially the people of God. That's not an either-or thing. It's like you have people, big circle, people of God, smaller subset in that circle. <laughs> so he's just for both, but yes, especially the subset. Hanging out with the people of God. So you check our attitude. Once you've checked your attitude, then you start getting to a place where I have to turn, I have to deal with that first. And it shows up in how I pray. And what I feel like has made the biggest difference in my life then becomes part of how I pray for other people. And of course, Paul's in jail. House arrest at this point, but still it's jail. He's not in the dungeon in Rome about to be executed, but he's awaiting a trial. Um, And it leads to our third question. What needs to change to make you more fruitful? Talk about what motivates you, what's a red flag, what needs to change. Joe? I must decrease decrease so that he will increase. Here's the the paradox of that. It's so true, of course. I mean, John the Baptist said it. But that's actually how God ends up increasing your true self. (laughs) He actually wants to glorify you. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Right? Right? He wants to glorify you. But there's a paradox to that. Is There's this kind of like false me <laughs> that isn't really who God created me to be that has to just be emptied and diminished. And, and after I get through that, there's this part of me that can be exalted. Robin. Yeah. No. When you turn to inconsequential things, you just face unintended consequential things that wreck your life <laughs> because they're coming anyway. So, but I see. Now I see all kinds of hands popping up. We're going to have to keep moving, but we'll try to get people. So, we had Dave. Who was it up here? Debbie, Tanya. You already spoke, Rust. Not Beth, No. Oh, and Dottie. Okay. Well, Dottie, did your hand go up? Okay, so you're first. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I was gonna say I need to hear and trust the spirit. Hear and trust the spirit. Okay, that's now see I put her first. Because I'm not stupid. I'm <laughs> no. Well sometimes I am pretty stupid. But Dave. <laughs> Okay, so but, but align our passions with the passions of God. And th- our passions are just so flexible that way, right? Yeah, they're pretty stubborn. Hey, so, Debbie. Um I, When I look at it, I have to identify fruit the right way. I, mine is what I think fruit is. It's a measurable thing. It's like a result thing. Yes. And, and that's not always the case. Yeah, and that's huge in this passage. And of course, the passage on bearing fruit, Galatians 5. None of it's about anyone else. None of it's about measurables. So when you hear Jesus saying, you know, a healthy tree bears fruit, but what is the biblical passage on bearing fruit? You see, we want to think that, you know, it's all going to be out here. And that's just how humans think. And it can actually take your heart away. Um, you know, our corporate world gets into measuring things and can lose its soul. Was it profit if you gained the whole world, got the measurable results, but lost yourself along the way? So, yeah, that one's huge. We'll, we'll see that in his prayer of how he prays for the Ephesians, even right here. Tanya. Yeah, he's made us worthy. That, that's going to show up in Ephesians. Ephesians 4, walk worthy of the calling. So, not walk worthy so you get the calling, Walk worthy of the calling you've received. He's counted us worthy. That's huge. turning back, we've got Bruno. I'll let Bruno speak last with everything he's going through. Vesta. Declutter my life. Declutter my life. <laughs> so I can see the past. <laughs> we fill it with inconsequential things. Yeah. Yeah. Bruno. Uh, we're going to let the past go and Crucify ourselves from a man whose house just burnt down. Talk about letting the past go. Might really need to hear that word, given what he's just experienced. Paul's writing from jail and writing this. Bruno just spoke as a man who just had his house burnt down and lost everything. So let the past go. So when you look at this question and what needs to change to make you more fruitful and just, yeah great responses, Um, but look at Paul's prayer. He said, you want want to be more fruitful? Bring divine grounding to your soul. And then the fruit will just come because you're healthy. It's been from the earliest days of my pastoral ministry, and it was really just a recent exchange with Phil because he and I talk occasionally, as painful as it is for him, where he reminded me, being healthy has always been a huge part of what you emphasize. Remember your first sermon series here? And I was like, well, yeah, it was the seven churches and that Jesus never gives us a hint on the size of the churches. He talks about their health, their health. That's what Jesus focuses on. Because the fruit is really, if we want to look at fruit as measurable results, that's up to God anyway. But we are put in this position where we can be healthy. And I I don't want to sound negative about this because I don't want to discourage you. But my biggest concern as a pastor is how unhealthy people are emotionally in their souls and how that drives so much of their thinking, the counsel of their desires (laughs) and how broken we are at that level. And how do you change them? Because they're stubborn and they're difficult and they're challenging and we kind of want what we want. But as Paul looks at the Ephesians coming into the faith, and remember their background. They're coming out of the occult and temple of Artemis and burning all these demonic materials and demonization and all this craziness going on. And Paul says, when I heard about your faith, I am thankful for you. I'm so for you and it's so positive. And I pray for you. But the way I pray for you is not like most of our prayers. And I don't want to say there's a bad prayer unless you're praying with bad motives. James talks about that. But I think that these kinds of prayers need to be a bigger part of our prayer life. These apostolic prayers, these apostolic dreams. He says, I remember you in my prayers and I give thanks and I pray that for the purpose that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. i got to make a quick like, textual comment right there. He's already given them the spirit. They're already sealed. It's really better understood. He's trying to give you a spirit. And because you have the spirit, that's now possible for you. Your spirit is just the way you look at things and what motivates you. Your spirit is Joshua and Caleb looking at a set of data points and interpreting them one way and everybody else interpreting them differently. And Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. He's not praying that you would get the spirit when he has just said you're already sealed with, this, with his spirit that he put on you as a deposit. He's praying that now that you have that, this kind of thing, this spirit, this fire, this passion, this breath would come, would motivate you through certain tools that your spirit would change and it would be a spirit and then he just rattles off things wisdom, revelation in the knowledge of him and that the eyes of your heart <laughs> would be enlightened so that you may know experientially know sense, feel for lack of a better word Because he's talking about your heart being enlightened. The hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Didn't he just mention inheritance? That you have through the spirit? In the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Wisdom. Revelation of your knowledge of him. None of us figures this out. He reveals it. And for that to really happen and connect with you, you know, what if somebody said the greatest distance in the human soul is from here to here? But the way the Hebrew people talked about the heart was more here. (laughs) Your gut. And that's actually extremely insightful by the Hebrew people because within our intestinal tract, we basically have neurons. It's your second brain. And it's faster. So a lot of what we're doing up here is because something went off down here and now we're like trying to protect ourselves. And, and Paul's like trying to say, you kind of need for this to think right, this needs to be enlightened. That's your heart. We think about the organ and say, okay, here, which get it, yeah, that's, that's fine. But he's really digging even deeper. Think about, try to be aware about how you process things. Because if that gets right, you'll know. And you'll know, you'll believe without needing to prove everything. And that is what allows you to hang in there and persevere. These things that he mentions wisdom, you know, living life skillfully. An enlightened heart, experiencing his power, getting it. That's what helps you keep your heart, keep your spirit, hang in there. Don't lose heart. Have an enlightened heart. And that's not a given. And I would submit to you that for probably over half of you, probably a lot more than half, it's a tough fight. Because guess what? It is a tough fight. (laughs) That's what he ends up in in chapter 6. Because that's where the devil gets you. He takes your heart. He wants to keep your mind darkened. He'll mention that right in the next chapter. But he does that so he can take your heart. And so Paul moves to say, if you want to bring divine grounding to your soul, you want to do that for a reason. And you want to get yourself to a place. And of course, you have to stay Christ-centered. Know the immeasurable power of God in Christ. And that he seated Christ in the heavenly realms far above all this stuff. Not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under him and gave him as a head over all things to the church. And then here again is the positive attitude. This church, this mess, these people that so irritate you. And frustrate you and mess it up in your little system and plan of how a church ought to be. You want an apostolic church, they're worshiping angels. You want an apostolic church, they're sleeping with prostitutes. You want an apostolic church, they're suing each other over petty property disputes. That's a New Testament church. That doesn't make any of that okay. But see how we turn around and talk about we want a New Testament church, I'm like, did you read the New Testament? People are messy. But the church is also the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. What's your attitude about this thing we call church? How dare you? The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Who are you really persecuting when you trash his bride? The church makes all kinds of huge mistakes, because we're people and we're fallen. And that isn't that? That isn't how Paul is looking at it. He calls the church the fullness of Christ, who fills all in all. And he's not naive. While he's sitting in jail, some people in the church are blaming him for it. Read Philippians. They're preaching Christ, but they're, they're trashing Paul. And he's like, whatever, Christ has preached. So this is not a guy who's getting treated well by the church, in all respects. Parts of the church are treating him well. And so, but he doesn't focus on that, it's about your attitude, your perspective, your eye, if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light, if you're looking at things the right way. And when that happens, then you can seize the true high ground. And I'm not talking about, let me show that I'm right so I can win the argument. That's how we normally grab the high ground, like we have any right to do that. I'm talking about how do we get above all these principalities and powers that are attacking us in our heart? Because that's what he mentions next week. (laughs) And that's what we'll start talking about, that you actually have a position far above that. But how do you operate from that place? And the paradox, when I say seize the high ground... Is that seizing is sitting. (laughs) It's not something, it's it's seizing is resting. Emptying leads to filling, (laughs) stopping is starting. (laughs) Grace works and works better than work works. But we have to be operating from that place where we just sense we're passive and he's raised us up and seated us. And now we have this position from which we can act. That's the true high ground. And when we operate from there, starting in our own souls, we make a difference. And then that gets more caught than taught. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for This time, help us to both dream the apostolic dream, but be the kinds of different makers that the apostles were. Help us to desire what they desired, to seek the right motivation, to know his power, to have our hearts be enlightened so that we can truly seize the high ground. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.